We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 309 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I've given Rory Barlow the unenviable task of breaking down Xavi's first loss as manager of Barcelona. And since Rory isn't necessarily a Barca fan, I generally find the non-Kule guests wind up being more optimistic than the Barca fan. So, Rory, do you think that sounds right? Um, at the minute, I, I'm not sure if, if optimism is the word I'd use. Just in the face of... Uh, <laughs> That's not as mean. You're not as cranky. I, I get that. <laughs> Just in the face of the Bayern match, but in terms of a sort of more general outlook, I think there are reasons for optimism for Barcelona. It's just the fact that they're probably coming a little bit down the line. And uh, yeah, football fans and football in general as a, as a sport and a business is not known for its patience, is it? You're telling me that Twitter and media and TV stations are not reactionary as we think they are I, I don't think that's what you're saying i think uh bitter <laughs> seems pretty uh knee-jerk well anyway Twitter is I, always well reasoned of course of course you take as much time <laughs> as possible but yeah i mean I, I think with bayern munich now two days away from when we're recording this uh, obviously any optimism is going to go down to zero after this Real Betis loss but we definitely will hit the bayern munich preview any chance barson might have we'll try to reason with that and yes i actually did treat myself to the bayern dortmund match to try to do some scouting and i don't think that made me feel any better but first i want <laughs> to talk about the one nothing loss to Real Betis. Rory, I'm going to, as you're the guest, where do you want to start with this one? Um, I have to say this match kind of went as you expected it almost. I think credit to Manuel Pellegrini because he was pretty smart in the fact that he more or less set up his shop and said, we're going to get a chance. If we finish it, we, we will either draw or win. And if we keep Barcelona, we've got a good chance of doing so. That's what they did. Barcelona, for their part, I, th- I think they're it is a problem that perhaps the game kind of started off and yeah, okay. They improved in the second half with Dembele and he obviously makes a big difference to, to the whole kind of setup and the, and the sort of route that Barcelona takes towards the goal. But on the whole, this was a pretty predictable match. And that's kind of the problem for Barca is that they're almost predictable and they don't seem to have a way of getting around their problems, which, which doesn't paint well. I, I mean, you can't really just kind of sit and wait for players to come back and hope that um, maybe, I don't know, somebody catches a run of form. You, you have to actively solve those issues. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll come on to some more of them um, as we go on. 
Yeah, I mean, it was under, on, on second viewing of, of the match. I can't believe I did it to myself. And, and also in just, you know, checking what the hive mind had said on social media, that there was some tactical issues and mistakes I think are more fixable than I felt like when I was originally watching the match on Barso's Twitch stream. I think when I was watching the match, I'm just saying this is ugly. There's no flow. It's disjointed. <laughs> and if that's the point Real Betis, how do I say this? I almost felt uh, a little bit maligned by Real Betis because I think the expectation that we've had for now a number of years now was, I think, prior to this season and maybe the second half of last season when Pellegrini took over that we expect Real Betis to want to play. We expect them to, you know, honor the beautiful game in a way that other teams in the Liga, and I always throw the names of Fadafe and Cadiz out there, that they have their style and they're going to get points, but they're also trying to stay up. Real Betis are now third in the table because they are willing to play a certain style that gets the job done. And I commend them for the results. But in this case, in this match, and as much as I want to blame Real Betis, it was Barcelona that committed the 12 fouls in the first half. It was Barcelona who were a little late on the tackles. It was Barcelona that also due to the injury for Gabi, that if you want to hear my, my you know, entire tirade, he apparently is fine. He's out of hospital. You know, he's passed through concussion protocol. He's okay. But as that was happening, and then I did the match review when we, before we knew he had gotten home from the hospital, I thought that was insane that he wasn't taken off originally. I, you know, again, the whole head injury thing, I don't want to do it again. It's the thing that fires me up the most. Um, but I did promise though people that for uh, on the match review that to tell the story when I was playing, you know, about 10, 11, 12 years ago, I had an incident. So it, it's very personal to me where I, I ha- I've had three concussions before it, it, I have a good memory, but sometimes it, it, it affects certain things that in my directional sense sometimes. And I wound up going up for a header with somebody. I wound up landing on a rock and my coach told me, you know, to carry on. And then it wasn't until like my ear was bleeding that I realized that like we have a bigger problem here. So then I wound up going to the doctor like the next day after I'd slept and whatever. And I had headaches for weeks. And it's this whole thing that especially, I mean, I was actually the same age as Gabby. I was 17 when it happened. Gabby's 17 now. And fortunately, you know, I've been able to, I've been fine the rest of my life. I'm okay. But my fear is that Gabby won't be because there's a lot of people and a lot of footballers, especially who have all of that head contact, right? I was playing at a secondary level. My, my career ended, you know, within a year. So for him, if we want him to have a 15 year career and not have headaches the rest of his life, you got to take these things seriously. And so I was just, I, I guess I said, I wouldn't do it, but there I did it anyway. I was just embarrassed by the lack of protocol and that was frustrating. But anyway, because of the injury to Gabi, five more minutes were added to the first half. And again, I think that's on Barca. That's the fact that Barca were just not even a step slow to it, but they were willing to get, I think there's a difference between being physical and playing to what the other team is trying to do when they muddy the game, but mm-hmm. also kind of playing into that. I felt like Barca did that. They were just, they were not only were they committing too many fouls, but they were doing that because they were losing the duels. They were losing the 50, 50 balls. And I mean, is there one player that we look at? I mean, I have the name, but is there one player you look at as to why that might've happened? Um, I, I don't think it's uh, I think when you're slow to slow to the ball and I think when you're committing lots of fouls, I think it's like you say, it's a symptom of the team not being able to get there fast enough. And yeah, OK, we, we know that Xavi wants to press and that I think is, is something that's positive for a lot of fans. But if you don't get there and you are pressing, you do have to commit the foul. And I think I think that's just kind of fair enough. Um, I I think it's smart and I'd rather see them committing the fouls than, than letting the players go because when they do get in behind you and you don't manage to commit that foul, then you see Sergio Canales and he manages to take a touch mm-hmm. and inside kind of sends Lenglet uh, and that's where the goal comes from. I think, I, I don't know if this is the name you're, you're edging towards, but Memphis Depay. <sighs> yep. What a, 
what a conundrum of a player he is because Barcelona, they don't have another option. And I've seen Kevin Williams, who's very big on Barca Twitter, say that he would happily sit him and, and put him on the bench. And yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I, I understand the logic behind that. In fact, I'd almost agree with it. But Luke de Jong is the other option. And Luke de Jong is, is not much of an option at the minute, it has to be said, and certainly not what Xavi's looking for. I think Memphis Depay, I, I was writing about him before and it's almost as if he has like writer's block, but every time he kind of gets on the ball, it's like he's getting more and more desperate to try and get around it and solve it. He's not approaching it with the sort of calmness and the confidence that he did at the start of the season. If you look at kind of, there's a there's a point in the Benfica match, I think, where he kind of goes through on goal and he cuts inside and he takes two free touches, chance is gone. And it it's just the symptom of that lack of confidence. Whereas against Athletic in the first kind of, or second game of the, of the league season, bouncing ball, left foot, thunders at home. That's what you want from your striker. And even against Hitafe in the following game after that, he cuts inside and takes a shot fairly swiftly. Those that sort of those extra touches are the symptom of a player who's... I, I have to say, I, I got it a little bit wrong. I thought Depay would have the mentality and almost the arrogance to brush off the sort of mental trauma of Barcelona and just kind of wade through it be his own man and and try and sort of yeah um be be the star player for this Barcelona side but he's been sucked into this kind of malaise that the rest of the squad has found itself in as well and and it's really playing havoc with Barcelona because they don't have enough forward they need to rely on Depay and uh, I think the big stats which I'm sure you have to hand down is 20 balls that he lost at the weekend and yeah. that's that's pretty costly it's a high number yeah, I mean, and I've def- not even defended him, but I've said that the expectation for Dubai that he'd finish was like 22 goals this season. And he's actually on pace for that with nine goals already. The Champions League is really where he was missing those chances. But he's also only came off the field in one match this season. Uh, and mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's he's played 90 minutes the year. I mean, not year, but, uh, you know, week in and week out, no rotation whatsoever. And yeah, I mean, there's this there is this world that I've said before that that if you're going to put Gabi, Busquets, De Jong, Nico and Pedri all on the field at the same time. That means Pedri's probably going to have to occupy that left wing where he played at Las Palmas. Ansu's going to be in the middle. And I mean, on his day, Dembele's on the right. And that is probably the most dynamic Barca you have. And Memphis is not a part of that. And that is no disservice to Memphis. But I think in this style, and it's not just Memphis, because I think for Barcelona, there was one thing or so. And again, we could speak of the individuals, but there was one thing that seemed to be missing from every player that you could go from around the field, all 11 players. You go, if he had done this a little bit better, that would have made something that this other player did. It would have made more sense, right? It all would have worked together. So like for Memphis, for example, yeah, you said it, zero shots, zero successful dribbles, only 24 passes, <laughs> two key passes, sure, but 20 times losing possession, that's not going to get the job done, especially when he's dropping in deep. But two of the things, or, I mean, two of the big things too, is especially when we try to criticize young players, and I don't want to be criticizing young players, but young players are inconsistent. And one of the other names that I was thinking about alongside Gabi in the first half, but Nico didn't have his best day. And for me, it's one of those where, Memphis, we're asking if it's more of a systemic issue, if this is a long-term problem. But with Nico, because he's 19 years old, I'm able to say, hey, you were promised that young players are going to have inconsistent days. And Gabi and Nico, whether it's because they're starting every match for FC Barcelona now, <laughs> right, and just being thrown right into the fire, that mm. press for Barcelona was the worst that it's been. And I think it's really telling that with Barcelona pressing and being as organized as they were defensively, that they were able to get at least a draw or a win in their first three matches, and now the press did look like it was a bit too disjointed. 
it seems like those lines, I mean, especially those pass lines when you saw them, weren't as connected as they were in the previous three matches. So Barcelona weren't able to make their own look, if you will. And this time around, it was Real Betis that made that luck because Barca, they gave them a bit too much. So for Nico, being a step slow, losing his duels, the bigger issue with Nico wasn't exactly that. It wasn't even the fouling, as you said. It was that he wasn't making any of those late runs. There were there were opportunities. There were times when Langley would be on the ball or when Araujo would be on the ball and even Memphis would drop in deep. And Nico was not trying to get in behind that back line. And when Xavi sets up his team to play with these high interiors, you have to have those runs into the box. And if you're going to rotate out Frankie de Young, then the spacing is going to be completely incorrect without Nico. And I thought that Nico in this instance, did Memphis no favors. Memphis, his first touch wasn't good enough, and he wasn't making the decisions quick enough. But Nico, again, not making those runs in behind was not giving Memphis that that first option. And then the second option in Coutinho and Easy Abde on the other side, right? Abde's job is what? To go right at a back line. He's really dribbly. Go right at him. But his body orientation was not in the proper spots multiple times to receive the ball. He would seemingly be receiving the ball behind him, and then he'd have to completely move, and now the defense is in place. So he wasn't timing things or giving them the right options. And then it's also accredited to MLA, but it's no surprise that Dest was much better, or at least even effective. He was not in any way effective when it was him and Abde. And I mean, that's a 19-year-old and 20-year-old, and it's not even you know necessarily their ages, but their body orientation together, clearly they had never played together. And you could see that in the way that they weren't communicating. Dembele comes on, who's Dest has played with and played well with before, and now Dest is finally getting forward. And it's it's not even it's not on Abde. It's that these combinations are not working because not only are they too young, they never play together. And then the other side with Coutinho, he's the same way. Coutinho was in no way receiving that ball to go forward with the ball. And that's been a criticism of him for a while now. But unless he's coming in and Memphis is vacating that space, that is always going to be Coutinho's first, second, and third look as to where he wants to move on the field. But that's not what this system is calling for, which is why I continue to say, I don't even blame Coutinho. It just, he doesn't fit. Like what he wants to do, his style of play does not fit Xavi's intentions on this field. And you could, I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate for Coutinho. It's not, I'm not even blaming him now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I will say the first 10 minutes, there was one sort of uh, move where he kind of breezed past his defender. There's another where he sort of gets the shot and he'll go. And for 10 minutes, I kind of sat up and I was just like, has Xavi done the impossible and, and sort of got Coutinho like playing as if he if he, as if he was a proper professional footballer again? But sadly, he sort of descended back into his his general spell. Yeah, I I think you you put a lot of sort of symptoms of of Barcelona's sort of failures there, and you you pointed out a lot of things that don't fit that don't quite work. And the temptation is to be like, well, this is what you need to do to fix that. And, and I'm sure. Albert Blaya, I'm sure he also has some sort of sol- solutions towards that. But it's also just a reality that if you take Frankie de Jong out and then you end up playing Ricky Puch and Coutinho for most of the match where you had Frankie de Jong and Gabi, your pressing is just not going to be as good because they are not as good at that one way or another. Ricky Puch and Coutinho both probably not 100% match for either. Neither of them really have played yeah. regularly for years now. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a symptom of kind of the issues of the Barcelona squad and there is no quick fix and I think that's probably the most frustrating thing for for Barcelona for Xavi there's there is no quick fix it just you just have to wait you have to play it out and you have to try and make gradual gains and yeah against sides like Real Betis if they are set up well if they take their chances Barcelona are going to struggle this season Uh, there's just no other way around it I think one of the things that has disappointed me in this Barcelona side. And I think I think not enough is being made of the fact that Messi is gone. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just to put it straight out there. Kuman's issues, his where he sort of fell into, into problems and a lot of the criticism that he received, I think sort of blinded us to the fact that Messi wasn't there as well. And that's a big problem. And I think for the likes of Nico, for the likes of Gabi, even De Jong, these players are the ones that have to be sort of playing the final ball. And that's really missing from Barcelona at the minute. And part of that is that you don't have quite the runs that you would like to have. But Barcelona, they don't play a pass through the middle of the defence anymore. 
like okay sometimes you get the odd cross but they they don't find themselves in a position in the interior where uh, Ricky Puch, Coutinho, Gavi, whoever it is, they're st- they they receive the ball, they can look up and then slot a pass through the defender, through the defenders. That just doesn't happen, and it's partly because of the runs. It's partly because you've got Depay playing nine, but it's it's also partly I think a lack of sort of not willingness to take responsibility, but you're not used to it when you can give the ball to Messi and you know that he is the guy who's going to play the final ball then it makes a huge difference to your game because you know you don't have to rely on yourself for that. Whereas asking people to start doing something that they're not used to, that they're not in the habit of doing, I, I think that's really coming back to bite Barcelona a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's what like the crazy thing about the personnel and transfers or whatever we go back to that with Messi gone. I mean, the biggest thing is time, is that in time, you hope that Dembele, I mean, if he renews or not, but you hope that whoever comes in to potentially replace him even, that the likes of Ansu playing with Memphis, playing with Dembele or some other actual, you know, 24 to 28 year old right winger. Again, it's no respect to Abe or, or Elias Akomas or any of the other options is that when you have a player who's actual professional footballer for a number of years and understand certain circumstances and pressure and all those things, then you have a shared responsibility. And you're right. All of that attack is, is solely on the, on the shoes of Memphis because even Coutinho isn't really a goal scorer. I mean, none of those are players that put the ball in the back of the net. And on, on the point of chances, like Barcelona have, they have 31 big chances this year that they've created. They've scored 23 of them. And for Real Madrid, they have 37, I mean, sorry, they have 36 big chances they've created and somehow they've scored 37 goals. So, I mean, that, that's the difference between <laughs> the 13 points in the table that Real Madrid somehow have scored an additional goal to the big chances they've created. And meanwhile, Barcelona, I mean, that's making your own luck. And meanwhile, Barcelona have created tw- 31 big chances and they've converted on 23 of them. And I mean, uh, yeah, and I, I am arguing with certain people, you know, whether it's the Patreon or on the, in the Facebook group about those big chances and the finishing and, and the importance of those. So, the, I mean, these are nuanced conversations, but I mean, certainly what I will concede and would agree with is that even under, I mean, and I think Messi, you're right, is, is the catalyst for all of it, that there are just less opportunities happening. Even if those big chances are being created, what is the quality of those chances as well? Because whether you call that Coutinho shot a big chance, which is what it was, you never felt like that ball was going in the back of the net, regardless of it. I mean, and that's, again, no disrespect to Coutinho. The other thing I would say, too, I, I want to do the Ricky Pooch thing because we always obviously have the Ricky Pooch stands out there. It's not even about him playing or playing time or whether or not he played well or not. But I want to get into how when Gabi went off and Puj came in, tactically things changed and they changed for the worse because Sergio Busquets was Barca's best player for the first 20 minutes of that game. I mean, his seven long, long balls, when you talk about that ball up through the middle, he's the only one, that being Busquets, who's doing this. The seven long balls, three of them were attempted up, up, up through the middle. He was seven of eight on his duels, three interceptions, five tackles. Sergio Busquets was really, really good in that game. And I know he was, quote-unquote, out of position because Araujo got stuck upfield on the counterattack, and yeah, he's too slow for that, that instant. But Busquets was a reason... And his press in particular and his ability to win the ball back was why Barcelona did not concede even more. I want to start by saying that. The issue when Gabi went off the field is that Puj is an entirely different player who plays much deeper. So if you're breaking it up in those triangles and those zones, Busquets was dropping back as a third center back only when Puj came on the field because Puj sets up a bit deeper to receive the ball and Puj takes an extra one or two touches before he delivers that magical Puj ball that we know he can do or that diagonal. And I think to your point as well about Puj, because he's not match fit, we can continue to say it that, I mean, he did have one interception. He was two for three in his duels. He was one for two in his long balls, 54 touches total, 43 of 45 in his passing. 
Pouge's metrics looked good, but he couldn't be a difference maker because he didn't look match fit. His positioning was just, he would come a little bit too close to receive the ball. And then it would just break everything down. Rapidis would always have time to set up. So I felt like Pouge was uh, an example of how the ball was just moving a bit too slowly for Barcelona once he came on the field because Real Betis were match fit and prepared for just, for, you know, they could, they weren't going to, they were willing to wait for Puj to get up to match speed, if you will. So again, it's not an indictment of Puj and his larger uh, career or where he belongs in this rotation or whatever it is. Like, I think that's always the argument. We always get stuck there. But Puj the example of a, of a rotation player who's not really playing, who when he comes on the field, he changes the the circumstances he changes the system as to how they're playing and Puj unfortunately neutralized a bit of what Busquets could do. So we can praise Puj for what he did in his role, but Barca were worse when he was on the field. Does that, is that, I mean, does that make sense? Like if it felt, can you add nuance to it? Cause I know I'm going to get hate anyway. That's what happens when you, when you go, when you go after Puj any at all in any way. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem with Ricky Puj, it's, it's such a bizarre kind of thing in the sense that Ricky Puj, I think rep, came to represent something larger than him, the player itself, under Valverde. He was the representative of La Masia not getting a chance or La Masia being sort of wasted. And you saw sort of glimpses when he first came into the team, certainly, of things that he could do. And they, they were kind of the glimpses that you see from a young player. And you think, yeah, OK, he's got talent. He can add something. The problem is, from when Ricky Butch has come in to now, I don't know if we've kind of seen him become a more rounded player and that that is an issue because I, I think when, when somebody sort of first comes in and you forgive the mistakes that perhaps like Gabby and Nico are making just now but by the time they reach say Frankie de Jong's age after they've been sort of in senior football for four or five years you can't forgive that and okay Ricky Pooch as we say hasn't had sort of a lot of game time isn't match fit and and yeah his footballing development isn't normal it hasn't been linear certainly in terms of kind of game time but yeah some of the holes in his game are kind of less forgivable now he's been around so long if that makes sense whereas like when he first came in you just kind of appreciate the talent you appreciate the things he can do and you look at that whereas now yeah okay I I, I like Vicky Butch as a player I think he does have things but to play him as an interior I mean, personally, if, if, if I was setting up, I, I don't want to play him against Guido Rodriguez and Sergio Canales because they are better players than him. And I know that he's going to get exploited by them at various points. Yeah, I mean, he's 22 now. It's unfortunate because that's the way the football as a business works. But yeah, at 18, 19, you go, OK, I mean, what what will be what can be, especially with linear progress. But now that he's 22, he is on the fringes of Barcelona. And, you know, again, the big picture for me is that if Puj is coming in, for uh, 30, I, I said this at the start of the year, if he comes in for 30 to 33 appearances, playing an average of 25 minutes off the bench, he certainly does have a role. You could see that when Barca, especially when Dembele came on and the spacing changed on the field and Real Betis were in that low block, when a team settles into a low block, you see the best of Puj. You see that mm. if he's got the field directly right in front of him, because in that La Masia way of Busquets, Puj also defends better on the front foot. He's not good at backtracking. He's not good at these counterattacking games. But Xavi didn't have any other options other than call on the 22-year-old Puj in this instance to come on for Gabi because putting on Frankie earlier, I think it was probably agreed on that Frankie would not play for those 45 minutes. But I think the belief was that, Puj, can you push upfield? But I think Puj was more comfortable, again, being that, that, that quarterback, not even being a pivot. He's not a pivot, but to receive the ball and be able to see the whole field in front of him and go into that space, whether it's dribble in that space or to find that ball. But as we said, because it was just a bit too slow, it shuts everything down. But again, Memphis, not on his day. He was not helping. 
And Easy Abde, again, his body orientation, he was not receiving properly. Even the long ball or the diagonal ball that Pooj delivered to Easy Abde, it was just that second of hesitation from Abde, even when he received the ball, because he wasn't prepared to, to fully receive it in stride. And Rob Betis and Alex Moreno, who's a good player. And this is, again, a credit to the third-place side in the Liga, that Mark Bartra, I mean, he's the reason why it wasn't 1-1. Because Mark Bartra in that second half was, I mean, he was com- wherever he needed to be. And Dembele should have turned that match into 1-1. I mean, he could have turned it into 1-0 before that for Barcelona. So I I think before we finish up the Real Betis thing, I do actually want to give a compliment. I want to be a little positive for a second. And I want to say (laughs) that Langley is a player that I have said I would not be surprised if he is sold in January, if there are takers or the summertime. It just makes sense where he is on the depth chart. He's a left-footed center back, and that might be the only one of the only reasons why he's still around, other than that no one else is, is calling. But a credit to Albert Blaya send that on Twitter. I always recommend everybody follow him. It's in Spanish, so hit that translate button. But he actually had his best game, not only statistically, but I was relaying on the Twitch stream. I did not say his name once until that goal was scored, and that is a good thing. He was uh, really good in his tackling. He was always in the right spot where he needed to be. He was supportive to um, to Araujo on that back line. And as far as his passing, his passing was, I mean, I, I tried to look this up. He had his best passing day ever in a Barcelona uniform. He had 12 ball recoveries, which is his most ever. And I think he was three for four on long balls or something, which is somehow, I mean, again, breaks my brain that that's his best ever. But but <laughs> the case is with Langley, he usually doesn't do that. And his he had one ball in particular to Memphis up through the middle. That was exactly what Xavi asked him to do. And so I actually optimistically am saying, hey, if Langley can do what Xavi's asking him to do, then maybe these younger players who were even created in the cauldron of La Masia and are already have this things kind of in their DNA. They just, Xavi just has to get that out of them. And I know it's unfair for me to say, use the word DNA. I think we overuse terms like that. I think players are players and yeah, you can learn a certain way, but you also have to actually become that player. And I think everybody type is different even. So, you know, even though Nico and Gabi were both raised in La Masia, you're talking about three or four inches or sorry, uh, centimeters on their as mm-hmm. far as their height. And you're also talking about a bit of weight too. So their bodies have to work differently. You have to orient your body differently. And yeah, I mean, I think for Lele, a credit to him. He had a good day. And uh, him and Araujo looked solid back there until the counterattack happened. And I said, I think it wasn't necessarily on the back line this time around. I think it was systemic on what was happening before that. I also thought uh, to be negative that Frankie de Young never really found the game. He came in and I, I just don't think... Maybe being off the maybe coming off the bench isn't for him, but he just he didn't look ready for this one, which is a shame. Yeah, no, I, I think um they said it on the Siempre Positivo uh, podcast as well. Barcelona defended better. Like they, they weren't bad defensively for, for most of the game. And okay, Real Betis had the odd spell where they'd kind of come forward and, and look a little bit dangerous, but it didn't really create that many chances. I mean, there's the one that was disallowed for offside. Um, I mean, that was kind of more on Terstegen than it was the defense. And then there, there's obviously the goal. But as a whole, you have to look at it off the ball as a reasonably good game from the defense. I think the one, the one thing that's really bothering me about Xavi so far is the lack of Jordi Alba, to be honest. Mm. I, I think the the idea of the wingers, it makes sense. That's what, it, what he wants to do and completely kind of agree, agree with it in a sense in the fact that for his game plan, they need to be there. But on the other hand, Jordi Alba is pretty much your best weapon almost as an assister. Like, I mean, Usman Dembele, perhaps aside, Jordi Alba provides a lot of assists. He's one of the best fullbacks delivering a ball. Well, no, he- I, I, I'm, I'm doubling that. I, I'll, we'll double that on it. His accuracy on crosses is, yeah, way better than Dembele's. Yeah, yeah. Dembele's is better than Easy Abde, the 19-year-old, and his 
crossing. Uh, but again, that's not saying anything. I don't think Dembele is a, a great crosser of the ball, but Alba, Alba's pretty good. Yeah, and I think if you have him delivering the ball from deep, okay, one or two of them might come come off. But where he is best is sort of getting getting sort of in behind and then cutting the ball back or, or playing it sort of from very close to the corner flag. And I think the lack of that is really hurting Barcelona. And I, I, I do think that the fullbacks perhaps needed to be perhaps held back a little bit and just sort of to make Barcelona a bit more solid and so that they have a bit more balance. But yeah, Alba's one of your best weapons. You need to be exploiting that in a team which has very few of them at the moment. I mean, I, Coutinho missed that overlapping pass two or three times. I mean, I, again, I don't want to be too critical of him, but I have never favored that the combination of Alba and Coutinho. I don't know what it is, but their spacing is always <laughs> off. It just, it just doesn't work. It's, it's one of the things where, like, I mean, you see it. It's the eye test, and then the metrics back it up. I mean, you're looking again at their pass chart. Yes, they had the, what was it, the fifth most passes from one player to another, Alba to Coutinho. But you looked at the heat map of where those passes were taking place, and they were all taking place at midfield. Almost none of them took place in the final third. And again, it's that Barcelona, especially when Gabi left that game, Barcelona were no longer bringing any pressure into Real Betis' final third. The heat map from Busquets went from just over the midfield line to Barcelona's own half of the field. And once that line of confrontation, and I think that's the other thing too, that against Bayern Munich, as we're going to transition a little bit here, the line of confrontation is what terrifies me about the Bayern Munich. It's really like more than anything else. Because, I mean, Benfica, and that was a credit to Barca when they had spells against Benfica and they looked like they were going to get that goal because Benfica were just playing for a draw. Barca were able to bring up that line of confrontation. They just didn't get the ball in the back of the net, which is, again, an a, a endemic problem that we've been talking about for a while. And finishing, we already did that. But the line of confrontation, they were able to bring it higher. Against Real Betis, I don't think Barcelona, because they never really controlled that match, whether it was rotation, match fitness for a lot of players, whatever it was, they weren't. Uh, Real Betis were kind of playing it where they wanted to play it defensively. And so they never even, for more than 15, 20 minutes, right? Real Betis were not in a low block or even a medium block. They were basically playing it straight up. And, and prior to that, even Villarreal, Barcelona were able to pressure them and they were forcing Unai Emery's team to, and you can talk about their problems. <laughs> That's, I mean, you wrote about that actually, right? I, I think about their problems. <laughs> so, but anyway, but forcing Villarreal who wanted to play out were still forced into a low block. And then against Espanyol, the same thing. Espanyol defended with <laughs> all 11 players in the box at one point. So that was Barcelona bringing up the line of confrontation. And what was worrying about Real Betis is that they didn't, they allowed Real Betis to play that match on their terms. The problem with Bayern Munich is that they're so they're so good that they don't have to, I mean, they don't care where the line of confrontation is. They don't have one. The line of confrontation is wherever they're really good players, which is all 11 of them, are on the field and how quickly they break through. They don't actually need, they don't set up anything. So Barcelona, for the first time, I think even Benfica, Benfica are a really good side, but they decided to let Barca possess the ball and let Barca control the game if they could. And Barcelona, it ended 0-0 because Barcelona couldn't finish. But Bayern are going to be the first team that Xavi is going to play that is not going to allow, not even allow, but they're going to say, Barcelona, whether you have possession or not, we don't care. Our line of confrontation is going to be in your half. We're going to put you on the back foot. And I don't know how you're going to play out of that. And I mean, yeah, this one's tough. I don't know where you want to start with the Bayern preview here. Do you want to start with the memes and the lols about Lewandowski and the Ballon d'Or? <laughs> or do you want to start with actual talking about tactics or trying to figure out a way that Barca has a chance? I, I think the fascinating thing for me with this one is it's almost like a, the fact that Xavi is playing against Bayern and they need to win versus sort of Koeman in the first game of, of the Champions League group stages. And Koeman got so much criticism for the way that they played and the way that's set out and the negativity that he showed how brave are you, Xavi? Like, how, how 
uh, yeah, how, how much do you want to con- confront Bayern? And uh, I saw, I mean, not that I believe that Sport are, are have the inside track, but like Sport were reporting that he was going to go for free, uh, free for free for this game and go very attacking with kind of Dembele as the as the wide player on the right hand side of that. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting sort of mental battle. Is do you set your players out to be positive, to push high up? and risk getting completely destroyed or do you kind of balance it i think you are going to have to defend at some point in this game and that that's a problem for barcelona they're just going to have to do the best they can when they're stuck kind of deep in their own half i think for them the most important thing is that yeah sort of neutralizing that press right after they win the ball if you look at the game i think where bayern got beat 5-0 against gladbach gladbach were just playing one touch football that's that's all, all they did was essentially to get in behind Bayern to to score goals against them. And it was impressive. And yeah, okay, that's probably the hardest thing to do in football is to play at one touch and be accurate. But yeah, Barcelona need to play the first two free passes after Bayern, after they get the ball really quickly, hold on to it or get in behind. One, one of the two. They cannot lose it. They cannot go backwards. They cannot go back to Stegen because then they will lose the ball and it will become claustrophobic. I'll be interested to see how much how much Chabi puts on the line in the first 20 minutes, how much he kind of goes for it initially and sees if he can kind of get an early goal and get ahead or whether he sort of waits it out and sort of, yeah, maybe sees if he can, he can find something later on in the game. Well, that possible 11 you're talking about that was put out there was Ter Stegen in net, Araujo, Piquet and Eric Garcia along the back line, Nico, De Jong, Busquets, Gabi, somewhere in the midfield, uh, potentially two pivots and two interiors, and then Dembele, Memphis and Alba from right to left across the top. And looking at that, I mean, as I kind of complimented Langley, I can't believe I am saying this. I mean, again, I've kind of always pushed a bit for him for Eric because of his progressive passing and just how important he is to breaking a press. But with the way that Bayern are going to press and the ability they have to win those 50-50 balls to come right at you, I don't, I mean, just like in the first match, actually, it was Robert Lewandowski who was finding a way to match himself up 1v1 with Eric Garcia. And I don't want to see that again. So I think Langley... <laughs> He's actually, I think he's the only player from the Real Betis match that has earned the second straight start. So I actually would start Langley in place of PK, uh, in place of Eric Garcia, and then have Langley, PK, and Araujo all along the back line in that way. Again, I thought Langley was positive on the ball against Real Betis. He's going to be much largely tested against Bayern Munich to break that press. But again, he's a player that I would put confidence in to do that just based on his last performance and not the previous three seasons. <laughs> so I know it's a lot to ask, but you have to have things go right for you for if you're going to beat Bar- uh, Bayern Munich. That's true. Yeah, and then De Jong, Busquets, uh, Gabi, Nico, they're going to have to get in on that press. Whatever malaise it was, they're going to have to shake all that off. As I said, Busquets being the one that, again, was bright against Real Betis, I thought, too. So all the other three have to get back on the horse and figure it out. And I think this idea that Bayern Munich can athletically overrun Gabi, Nico, and and Frankie de Young. I mean, Busquets is one thing, but the other three should be able to go toe to toe with whoever it is, whether it's Taliso or whether it is Muller or Gretzka, whoever it may be. I mean, Gabi went after Gretzka in the first matchup. So it's not an athleticism or physicality thing. To me, that physical game comes down to belief and system. And as you said, letting the ball beat Bayern instead of, which is what Munchen Gladbach did and not making sure, oh, we have to be them. We have to be physical and 50-50. And I, I think that's overdone a bit. I think this Barcelona side with Nico and De Jong and Gabi have been physical enough on the press to win those 50-50 balls. And numerically, they are winning more of those duels. Barca are than, than their opponents have under Xavi, something they didn't necessarily do under Kuman. But they're winning more duels, especially those aerial duels in the air. And they're in the right positions. 
And is an extra, you know, one or two training sessions enough to, you know, refine those things. And then up top, as we said, with Dembele up there instead of, no offense to Easy Abde, but, and then Alba on the other side. If you start Alba just the winger and, and not, right, to say, Alba, you don't even have to worry about defending. You have Langley behind you or whatever. So get back when you need to, obviously, because Kinsley Coleman or whoever it is on that right wing, whether it's him or Gnabry, you're going to have to worry about them. But having somebody run off Memphis, Memphis was so much brighter when Dembele is on the field. And if he is ready and fit to start this match, I don't care about his contract. I don't care about any of that. This match is all that matters. So you start Dembele because, I mean, there are no credits about his defensive ability. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not saying they're non-existent, but put Araujo behind Dembele. And then you have Busquets and uh, likely Nico on that right side as the right interior. Yeah, and then they have to defend for their lives. And then let Dembele go off to the races and try to make sure that, that Byron cannot completely set up their entire attack in your half of the field. And then unfortunately for Barca, it's another thing about the, the luck part of this, that Ansu, they're keeping him out, which I'm totally fine with because he's not ready. But in classic Barca luck, if you will, Kimmich is likely back for this match at the time of recording. He's likely going to be available. And Kimmich is one of the best players in the world. Full stop. That's it. Kimmich is one of the most commanding, important players. Even if he's having not his typical Kimmich year, he's just so good. And Barca just don't have Joshua Kimmich. They just don't. They don't. I mean, Frankie Young does part of it. Busquets does part of what he does. But I mean, Kimmich is just Kimmich. <laughs> That's what it is. And so having him in that midfield and then Lewandowski is the best striker in the world. And, and so you're going to you have a back line and a goalkeeper that are trying to find their fitness, trying to find their continuity, trying to find the organization. But I mean, facing Robert Lewandowski as you are a work in progress. No, obviously doesn't give us any hope at all. Yeah. And you, you mentioned kind of some of the Bayern players there on a very basic level. Bayern are a better team than Barcelona like 11 against 11 they have better players on another level you've got Nagelsmann who's a coach who knows how to tactically set up a team he's proven as, as a manager he's he's no um soft touch and so the, the very combination of those two very simplistic facts makes this as you say a miracle game for Barcelona they need a miracle on the other hand you look at the kind of first 20-30 minutes of that first leg and if you want to find stuff to hang on to, Luke de Jong did kind of almost get through one-on-one, but was just so slow that he couldn't quite get, get past the Bayern defender. If you swap that out for Dembele, then there's, there's a chance. My one sort of point of interest is whether he moves Dembele a little bit inside, which I don't know if I want to do, but having him directly up against Alfonso Davies kind of negates part of what makes him so good. So I wonder if you kind of have him closer to Depay, get yeah, him in behind... Point. And then Depay kind of dropping off a little bit more. It's it's a yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's a nightmare game to set up for Xavi, but he's going to really have to prove his chops. And I think we will see just how committed to the philosophy in inverted commas that he is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the thing, and he said about Bayern that those obviously people were talking about them not having a chance. But if he can get these players to believe in something, and there is something I think in sports that is unspoken, that isn't just coming down to tactics. Because you're right, on t- on paper, even if Bayern Munich, the players aren't up to it, Nagelsmann at halftime will figure something out. They they have the talent to be able to bring somebody off the bench to even change a match if things aren't going well. And meanwhile, if Xavi starts at eleven, he's going to look down his bench and go. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happens here. I don't know what we do. I mean, I, we, he just doesn't have the personnel to be able to completely turn a match on its head the way Bayern could do by putting in, whether it's Gnabry from the bench or Coleman from the bench or whoever it may be that doesn't start this match for, for Bayern Munich because they just have so many talented players. And more significantly, I think the thing I'm worried about is that Barcelona has never won in Bavaria, even at their best, even in the days of Messi. 
Bayern are just so much more comfortable even at home, even without the fans. And they make you know about it. They're just, they're emboldened. They're confident. And so for Barcelona, I, I want to see them match their confidence in the way that Benfica did. Because yes, Bayern got through Benfica, but it took a long time. I mean, even, even against Dortmund, the one thing I will say about Bayern Munich is yes, even while their defense is much more stable than Barcelona's at the moment, it's the one spot where you go, I'm not sure about that, right? There's a, if, you, if he starts, that being, that being Nagelman, if he starts Sula, Dembele can, can beat Zula 1v1. I mean, he can get around him. There, there is a way through that, mm. that Bayern Munich defense that we have seen a few teams do this season. I mean, even, yes, Barca don't have Erlen Holland, but Dortmund were finding space. And if not for Mats Hummels, Dortmund won that match. And, and I mean, that's something where, yes, Bayern won, you know, the Klassiker and obviously all the news is Lewandowski again, right? And that's all it is that uh, to the sword went Dortmund. But Dortmund, they shot themselves in the foot. And for Bayern Munich, it is playing to their level, yes, but it's also mitigating your own issues in a way that, as I said against Real Betis, I thought Barca as a team kind of beat themselves. And that always gives me hope and where I continue, I mean, to be overly optimistic about Xavi. He's not some savior, of course not. But I think Xavi is such a thinker. And we've read stuff in The Athletic from Dermot Corrigan that Xavi is so intense and so concerned about every minute tactic detail, every uh, minute tactic, I mean, uh, every minute detail about emotion about individual players about where players headspace is at what their pre-match routine or ritual is and he is still tinkering with all those things and it's a prog as a process sure but there is this world there is this bizarre world where he's able to get the best out of the 11 that he puts on the field and you're right that these are world-class players that we've seen de young one pass touching with netherlands we've seen busquets gabi um, we've seen nico capable of it these are players that are capable of this thing I mean, Barca still have a, you know, a world 11 <laughs> that all, all 11 that we named other than Nico are international caliber players. I mean, even PK, you know, for the Catalan national team now, but anyway, I mean, he's a world cup winner and all that stuff, but you have, you have, I mean, class players all around Barcelona. And if Xavi can find a way to get them to believe it, it might just come down to something like that. And yeah, then you put your faith in Dinamo Kiev on the other side of it. I mean, that is part of it too, but I, I don't know. So answer me this worry. So what should I be reacting with? How should I feel? What should be my first words if Barcelona don't manage to get by Bayern Munich? I mean, let's say, God forbid, the worst scenario where they draw with Bayern Munich and Benfica bids Dinamo Kiev. I mean, give me that situation. But I mean, what should I say? I mean, like, I know even if it's expected that Barcelona are not going to get the result they want and drop the Europa League, what's the first thought after that? I think if Barcelona draw against Bayern Munich, you have to you have to look at it as a progress. I mean, they've not been able to compete with Bayern at all in recent years. Uh, and so if they manage to go to Bavaria and get a draw, you have to look at it as progress and just curse your curse the luck that Kuman yeah. was there kind of longer than he needed to okay, be. Okay. So I guess that was, that was too easy. It was too easy for you. Okay. So what happens if Bayern Munich do the Bayern Munich thing and Barcelona lose four, nothing in Bavaria and they just weren't as good. Where do we go from there with Barcelona heading down to the Europa League? I think part of it depends on the context of the match and how Barcelona set up. If they do similar things to the things they did under Koeman and they lose in the exact same way, then, yeah, you've got to ask a few questions of Xavi and that, that isn't good. If they go out, they give their best, they can't finish again and, and they get sort of close enough for 50, 60 minutes. Again, I think you have to look at the positive side of that and just accept that this is a really rough season for Barcelona and they're going to struggle their aim for me has to be top four, try and win a cup at the same time. Maybe that's Europa League. It's it's a really tricky situation. They're, they're on a hiding to nothing. There is no kind of fallback for this Barcelona side or fallback for Xavi in a sense. 
they just need to win this for the money, essentially, in my in my mind, because I don't think either of us think Barca are going to go to the Champions League final and win it. I mean, mentality-wise, it'd be huge if they could get something out of Bayern here. But yeah, this this is it's about money and it's about being able to sort of make gains mentally. I think for Barcelona, more than anything else. Well, yeah, right. It's like Barcelona. It's rock bottom is the term, but there's been like almost three or four rock bottoms that Kool-Aid's have had to face in the last year. It keeps getting lower. (laughs) But it, but it it doesn't, it doesn't in a way that, and I have the stat to back it up that with Bartomeu, when once it was revealed that the financial debt that Barcelona is obviously most fans, especially on the internet are too concerned with finances, but it got to a point where I, I kept parroting it on the podcast here that the numbers are really, really bad. It's going to be really dire for a long time. And when you know that you're in a bad situation for a long amount of time, it can feel all, that sadness is elongated over the course of time, right? And so the, the finances are something that I'm not, I'm never really doom and gloom every day, but you wake up and like, ah, oh, that's another bummer, right? Like that, it's, it feels like it's always, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're from the UK, so it feels like it's always raining a little bit every day, right? But it's, it just <laughs> kind of becomes your life, right? It becomes nature, it becomes the way you, the way you live your life. And for Xavi, I mean, again, the positive that, okay, Xavi's in, the, the, they turn the corner, but even going back to when Messi left, the day Messi left, is that one of the worst days in Barcelona history? Of course, especially the way it happened. The press conference flying in to sign the contract doesn't work out. It's one of the darkest days. Was that rock bottom? I mean, yes and no. It was a different emotional rock bottom to lose the greatest player who ever played the game. But then the results itself on the field, that rock bottom is what's coming. That rock bottom is where for Barcelona on Wednesday could be the moment when they failed to get out of the group stage for the first time in 21 years and follow the Europa League for the first time in, again, for many fans have never seen. It's not in their lifetime had they fallen down to the Europa League. And then the 23 points from 15 matches is Barcelona's worst league start in 18 years. So back to the dark days of 2003 when they weren't getting to the Champions League, when they weren't doing those things. So for Barcelona, yeah, I mean, the results now are about to hit that rock bottom. And that's my hope that if Bayern Munich 8-2 felt like rock bottom because it was that shock, but that was like the first rock bottom because that was like the shock to the system. And Barca, I think for a lot of fans, didn't know the situation that the club was in. And now they've Mm. kind of lived in that world for a year and a half now. They've lived in that malaise or that sadness and that darkness or whatever. And for, yeah, for Bayern Munich, I think it could represent another rock bottom. But I, again, a final rock bottom would be at the end of the season when Barca don't reach top four, because that's going to be the goal. We keep just kind of not lowering the goalposts, but saying, hey, this is what Barcelona need to be right now this year so that next year can be better. And that's what they're building towards. And even if Barca lose 4 nothing to Bayern Munich, yeah, and not always it's how they lost, but it's how close, it, does that take Barca away from top four? Does that make that even harder? Does that make it even more impossible? Does that take the belief that the team might have in themselves to be able to fight hard enough to make up the difference in the Liga? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, results feel like rock bottom, but it still doesn't. I feel like I've already accepted where the club is at. Yeah, and to be honest, in this match, I've kind of come around to the idea that Barcelona are not going through. I mean, as we say, we need a miracle. So anything is... Maybe that's just the the pessimist within me that's sort of preparing myself for the worst and then thinking, right, okay, this can get a little bit better. But I I think the advantage for this Barcelona, certainly emotionally, is that they can chalk it up to Koeman and they can say, well, this is a symptom of something that happened before. Hmm. We're building towards something longer term and it's, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a doomsday for us. They can sort of compartmentalize the pain put it somewhere else uh, and yeah, sort of fall, fall off the blame for, for that. Whereas if, yeah, say Xavi had been in for the, in from the start of the season and they secured the same results, then yeah, this would be another sort of traumatic rock bottom. But because 
I think, I mean, you, you will discuss this in depth on the podcast as well, like Laporta and how soon he should have acted, when he should have acted, Kumin and what he could have done differently. There's enough factors in there that Barcelona can kind of have the gloves on with this pain, pain project and, and yeah. sort of like deal with it in a different way to the way that they have done with other rock bombs. Because, yeah, they've already taken the steps to try and fix the problems that led to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm considering doing either on YouTube or maybe in a long podcast. There's people in suits or in track suits who we, who a lot of the regular fans don't really know about. And unless you're actually covering the team like you do, or, or really, I mean, you cover the whole league, but unless you're really kind of there, or paying attention even from day to day or hour to hour, and making sure you're watching, what did the CEO say? What did the uh, assistant director? What did the physio say? And there are so many actual personnel moving parts. It wasn't just Xavi coming into Kuman Singh. It was an entire rehaul of the staff there is a greater responsibility on even his his own brother who is one of the assistant mm-hmm. coaches oscar hernandez there is a renewed sense of something that is happening at the club because again from from high to low you're having a lot of different changes and there's a power that xavi has and a power that he is bringing into the club where he is making decisions in transfers if these this would be to believe that he has a say in transfers that no coach since the first year of Luis Enrique, not his final year, even the first year of Luis Enrique, that he had that kind of power to, to discuss and dictate. But even Luis Enrique, when he was, I'm trying to get the timeline right. It was prior to him when Neymar was originally decided to come. I think it was. Yeah, right, right, right. It was Tata Martino, who obviously had zero say in, in Neymar's arrival, yeah. <laughs> obviously. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, we have not seen a manager for Barcelona say, this is my style, not even style, but this is my vision. This is how I want to play. These are players that I want. I have my own scouts even looking at things. There are, I mean, there are scouts coming from outside with him that has been, you know, Spanish uh, speakers as well that he that he knows and has worked with in the past. Some of them actually were with him when he was at the club itself, right? There's so many returnees to the club after 10 years or whatever it is. So the club is in complete change. And is this a good change or is this stagnation? But I know it's not stagnation because it's going to be different players. I mean, different people behind the scenes. And if those people behind the scenes also quote unquote fail and Barcelona isn't like, jumping back up to the group, I mean, uh, getting through the group stage or getting to the, the round of eight or the semifinal of the Champions League or and finishing second or first in the in the La Liga again within a two or three years, well, then that's their failed project. But it's going to be a different idea. There are, there are new ideas coming in and literally different people. So that's going to take time. It's going to take a while to really, really hammer home and figure out. Yeah, and in terms of just your, your look at Xavi and kind of the power he has, it's almost worked in his favor that, I, I mean, I'm sure he would have rather had Messi there in on a purely sort of sporting sense. But in terms of being able to build a project, Messi going and also the fact that Laporta, one way or another, he has kind of stained his presidency with the whole Koeman incident. It, I mean, it wasn't good leadership. Uh, well, and... But the what if the what if is that if Messi was still around, Koeman would still be in the job. Probably. Yeah. No, you're, you're probably right. Um, I, I can't disagree again, with you there. 30, 31 chances scoring 23 goals with Messi. They've scored with Messi. They've created 38 chances, one or two more than Real Madrid, and they've scored 32 of them. And now, yeah. I mean, and that's good enough for second in the table right now. But I mean, he would still have oh, completely, yeah. Yep. No, but the, the, I think the thing that uh, works in Xavi's favor is the fact that Laporta has he's had to get desperate. He's had to go to Xavi in his hour of need. Messi's gone. That power vacuum means that Xavi has sort of unrivaled power in the sense that he is the, is the man on which everything kind of turns and rotates and nobody has the power to say to him well 
if, if you don't do this or, or if you kind of disagree with us, then we can get rid of you because L- Laporta can't get rid of Chabi now. If he gets rid of Chabi now in the next kind of year, I mean, depends on results as well and kind of how the yeah. team looks. But in, in terms of how that looks and, and the sort of unrest that would cause at the club, Laporta is tied to Chabi. He needs Chabi to be a success now. So, yeah, I, I think that power vacuum actually works in Barcelona's favor because it means you don't get quite so many voices competing. And with the transfers that Barcelona have made in recent years with Griezmann and Coutinho, and we know, I mean, we've heard it from numerous sporting directors that there hasn't been a consistent line of thought in Barcelona's kind of sporting project for a long time. And if Chabi, okay, do you want to give the reins over to one person exclusively and, and just pin your hopes exclusively on him? Maybe it's not the, the best line of thought, but it is better than having these sort of competing views and competing voices and certainly better than having a president like Bartomeu making the decisions on transfers. Well, the irony is actually that there are more voices now, if you will, with more power, but there's a better hierarchy set up there in that it seems like That's the really good decisions will be made in conjunction of Jordi Cruyff and Xavi together, along with Matteo Alemani and, and Rafa Ayuste, T- uh, two people in, in Alemani who has made some good decisions in scouting, but he also is not a football person per se. And that's kind of held against him. And I, with the with Xavi and Jordi Cruyff saying, from a football sense, this is who we want. Is this possible? And it seems like Jordi Cruyff is going to be leading that charge. And that's one of the reasons he didn't want to become manager of FC Barcelona. And then again, you're using the support that you stay and Alemani and their ability to negotiate, which is better, I think, than what we're, we saw from Pep Segura and, and even Eric Abidal. And I, I think Zubi Zaretta kind of was hampered in his final seasons by what Bartomeu was telling him that he needed to do in the likes of... Because if you use that Coutinho and Griezmann money on other, on, on other players that were better scouted and better fit anything that the coach might have wanted, Barcelona had better results. Easy. I mean, I'll say that very boldly. That's not difficult. So for the first time, too, the sporting project itself is does have this hierarchy of power where Xavi is the first one to say yes or no. Then Jordi Cruyff says yes or no. And you have two footballing minds making the decisions for the players on the field, which I, I think I've always as much as again, I'm, I'm not I was never a professional footballer either. But I mean, I would want someone who knows the game much better than me making decisions on personnel more than me. But if I know how to negotiate and go through the all the contractual things and know how to speak to contacts and agents and things like that, I want to be able to do my part because that's not what Jordi Cruyff is. He's if anything in China, he actually failed at that. That's why they weren't able to bring in people because he had too much on his plate. So it seems like now there's more voices that are more diversified in what their jobs are. And, but there is a hierarchy of who says yes, then you get to say yes, and you get to say yes, and you get to say yes. And then, I mean, and then the final yes is you look at the, the fine, you give a call to the finance department and say, can we afford this player? Can we afford this? And, and then they'll probably say no. The answer is no. Yeah. Right next year. But at least, at least the conversations and the player that they want make sense. And that's the other thing where, yeah, Sport and Men are David Tebow, they throw out a bunch of names at us and we're like, oh, Florin Torres. And of course I, I did it. You do the thing. But, but the names that, I want to see continue to be thrown out there are ones that want to make sense. I want to be able to plug them in the system in a way that Coutinho just broke my brain and will always break my, my brain, but I, it's too much Coutinho hate for one day. I think Marie. <laughs> so uh, yeah. And final thought from you. Yeah. I mean, hope, sadness, whatever. I'll give you the final word here. Yeah. I mean, I guess a final thought to kind of sort of round it, right. Uh, take it back around to that Bayern game is that, yeah, Barcelona might not, sort of win this game they might not go through even but it's not about that this season it's it's about kind of a longer term project and finally i I mean i'll leave the listeners on something positive 
finally Barcelona have a direction. It might not be up, it might not be down, and it might be a little bit flat, but at least they do have a direction rather than just kind of turning any which way as they were before. Well, the direction I want to send our listeners after you listen to this is right to Rory's Twitter. Of course, he has some good stuff. He's right there on the league at load down. So remember, there are other teams in the league. There are 19 other teams that, as I always say, too, it's not just we, we view Barcelona through the lens of Barcelona, but there's a lot of other teams. There's reasons why Real Betis are third, why Sevilla is second. And, you know, you don't have to read the Real Madrid stuff. We got to finish his junior. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, Rory, thanks so much for joining the show. As always, again, follow him. Just click on his name in the show notes. That'll take you right to his Twitter. So you can follow along with him. Then we are on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod or usually I'm the one who tweets. So at Hilton D13 for me, our close, our close Facebook group, as always, the Barcelona podcast. YouTube, thanks so much. We hit 8,000 subscribers. That's really cool. I, I want to do something special. We hit 10,000, but we still got a ways for that. So YouTube and those match reviews that I do, the Barcelona podcast, that's a little more instantly shows. And then Patreon as well as how we continue to financially support the show. So thanks so much to all of our patrons as well. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barcelona.